Welcome to The Double Shot, your favourite podcast with your two favourite cousins, albeit I am on my own today. This is James Fitzgerald and I'm joined in the studio. I'm not alone. I've got producer JB. Welcome back from holidays, JB. Thank you very much. It's good to be back. I hope you enjoyed the Thailand sun. It's, uh, it is an absolute heat wave gripping the eastern coast of Australia at the moment. I'm not sure if it's made its way down to Melbourne, but uh, there was just no reprieve on the weekend there. Mitch has gone and headed over to Perth this week. Alex, obviously, on maternity leave. So I tried to round up some people, but uh, it just wasn't happening in time. So I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm, it's, it, there's too much going on for me to not get an episode out this week. So I thought I want to talk about some topics. So JB is going to maybe bounce uh, a couple of things off uh, off you know, me today, but I will be doing it hand solo. And and if you, if you can indulge me, we get readings on exactly how long people listen to the podcast. I selfishly would like nothing more than to see this, the listening uh, minutes go up slightly for an episode where it's just me just so that I could send a little text to Mitch and Alex and just just let them know. So if you felt so inclined as to indulge me, that'd be great. We have got a bit to get through today. Uh, JB, I'm going to start, though, by asking you a little question. When did you last write a letter? When did I last write a letter? Like write a letter to someone specifically. Oh, to someone. And Um, get it posted. Oh, I I can't remember. Um, Probably was to Santa. Santa. That wasn't recent, so by the way. Year. Yeah, well, not recent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have been quite quite young or even when uh, my parents may have been like overseas, like a postcard situation sort of thing, at least 15, maybe 20 years. There we go. How about you? When was your oh, last 10 letter? 10 years, yeah, 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 at least 10 years, at least 10 years. Um, well, this is where I'm going to start today. The federal government is being asked at the moment to make some changes to to the effect that Australia Post is no longer required to deliver letters daily uh, as part of a restructure that's going to basically try and soften the blow, which for Australia Post at the moment is $200 million worth of losses every year. Uh, Posties will still deliver, deliver parcels daily as different from letters, and then they're going to be delivering letters every second day, uh, and it's actually already underway in a, in a trial version. The average household has gone from receiving just 2.2, or they, they rather receive just 2.2 letters each week on average, which is down from eight and a half per week in 2008, 15 years ago. Wow, big numbers. Yes, you can understand the business sense of it, but I think I think the thing I'm struggling with is not seeing the postie go past your house every day. That's yeah. uh, that's a slightly strange well, thing. Well, I suppose like majority of their letters these days, I would imagine, would be you know bank statements and utility bills, unless you've elected to only have an electronic copy. Um, I was going to say even most of those are done yeah, electronically yeah, these so days. Yeah, so I, I would imagine that that would be the majority and then even then it's a low majority. So I think it'd be a, a good move, you know, and, and not to mention um, I guess it would really reinforce the need to have it or not have it once people are getting them a little less, do they need to get them at all? Exactly. Anyway, uh, so that's where we're starting today. Uh, I should say you've just gone to, to Thailand. 
Yes. Maybe you could uh, give the listeners a bit of a recommendation before we move into some of the the chunkier items today. I always like to start with something light, but you and I had a discussion off air about the places you went to in Thailand. Indulge the listeners in your recommendations if you can. Yeah, sure. So it's coming out of three places that I that I visited in my time in my two weeks with with my girlfriend. Uh, so we stayed four nights uh, in Phuket, which it's a, it's an interesting place to see. It wasn't my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great, you know. There's a lot of things to do. Our favorite thing that we did in Phuket was went to one of the uh, rescued elephant sanctuaries. That was that was awesome. That was a really kind of life changing uh, experience. That was great. Um, but in terms of favorite place overall was actually uh, PP Islands we visited, which was nice for two nights. Beautiful kind of tropical escape. Um, Second favorite to Karabi, which uh, PP Islands is a part of the Karabi uh, province or region. Um, Karabi was awesome. It was, it was really um, super like a a, a fun place. It was whether you like to kind of party or kick back, relax see some awesome, beautiful places. There was kind of something for everyone. Um, amazing nature and landscapes there. And just that the people in Thailand, if you've, um, if you've been there, I'm sure you would agree, but just amazing people, attitudes, um, really positive, uh, just beautiful people. So it just makes a nice stay kind of irrespective of the amazing surroundings that you have, just the, the interactions that you have and the people you talk to. It was, um, Fantastic holiday! If, if you've never been to Thailand, I would I would thoroughly recommend it. It's an awesome place. Well, mate, get it in before you have a family, because I yep. won't be braving that trip <laughs> with an eight month old uh, anytime soon. I'm sure it'll change over time, but uh, an overseas holiday not on the cards for me at the moment. So I'll live vicariously through you. Uh, in the meantime, JB. Uh, Okay, guys, I'm going to talk about uh, a few of the big ticket news items today and, and their meaning for us. Majority of the listeners, you are at least in interested in learning about business and investment. And I'm going to hit on some of the, the key headlines and, and news pieces and, and the number that sits behind them and how they're relevant in today's podcast. And I've got to start with the one that was literally on the front page of every newspaper over the weekend, which is the Big Australia argument. There is a big argument going on at the moment about whether we want Australia to be big. And what I mean by that specifically, it's it's all come about because the Australian Bureau of Statistics update their forecasts of how big Australia's population is going to be over the next 50 years. And they update that in the next every three-year intervals. And last week they produced their most recent updated version. And it's got people talking because the current population today is 26 million. So for those who weren't aware, the Australian population today, there's 26 million people living in Australia. And the population before the pandemic, the pandemic threw everything in a state of flux because borders were shut. But before the pandemic, when everything was normal, we were seeing roughly 375,000 people every year uh, being added to the population. So if you think about it, you know, you, you, would, you would add, you know, 3.7 million people in, in 10 years. It's, it's a lot of people in a short period of time. Uh, and and ha- roughly, roughly a third of that was uh, births over deaths. 
And then two-thirds of it was migration, being people migrating from overseas or international students. That was before the pandemic. Then the borders got shut. And this year we've seen an explosion of overseas migration where prior to the pandemic there was roughly 230,000 people coming in from overseas. In 2023 there will be more than 500,000. So there'll be two full years worth of overseas migrants coming into the country within a 12-month period. So, so that gives you some context. This year is not normal. This year is a little bit of makeup for previous years. Um, let's now talk about where they're forecasting our population to be in 2030 and 2050, respectively. So the population is 26 million today. What they do is they do a low, medium and high uh, series. So basically, you know, very conservative, you know, middle of the ground and a slightly more bullish. What I would say about that forecast is that they have never... Never, seriously, like in the last 10 versions of this forecast, they've, they've normally exceeded the high-level forecast. So, so they've never gone anywhere near the low and medium. But having said that, we are forecast to go from somewhere between 26 million to somewhere between 28.8 and 30 million people by the year of 2030, which works out to be about now coming back full circle to what I spoke about at the outset, the low series assumes that we grow by less people than we were growing by before the pandemic, 350,000 people per annum. Very unlikely, if you ask me. The medium series assumes we grow by around 400,000 people per annum. That's only just above what we were growing by in 2019. And we've grown by more than that just in overseas migrants this year. I think the high series is about right, 500,000 people per annum. And even then, I would say it might even be a little bit conservative. Uh, it means that, that we have to build roughly uh, 250,000 houses a year. That's why everyone's up in arms. They're saying, wait a sec, the Australian Bureau of Statistics are forecasting that we're going to be growing by 500,000 people per annum. That means we need to build roughly 250,000 houses per annum. We've never done that. We've never, ever in the history of Australia built 250,000 houses in a year. This year, we'll build about 160,000. So naturally, people are saying, wait a sec, why are we wanting to grow by this amount of people when we can't house them? We've already got a housing crisis. So that's why it's, it's front page. And look, it's not that simple. We need to be bringing in overseas migrants to replace the ageing workforce because what that means is as people retire, there's less and less people paying tax for the people that rely on the services provided by that tax, like the welfare system, the healthcare system, an impossible, impossible problem to solve. The government is sort of in, a, in between a rock and a hard place because they can't just shut the borders because in 10, 15, 20 years' time, the, the government just won't be able to pay for all of the services that people need, so they'll have to wind back free health care. It'd be a disaster. So they are saying, well, we've got to solve how to build the houses because the alternative, winding back free health care, that isn't going to fly. 
That's not what people sign up for as an Australian lifestyle. So it's big news. And that's the context on it all. You might have read the headlines, but that's the meaning behind it. The opportunity for me is there's no way the population doesn't grow by 500,000 people per annum. And in the next 10, 20 years, everyone's going to be living in apartments and townhomes and terraced homes. It's just, it's the only way. You can't build the housing unless you build more and more density in and around existing infrastructure. So my personal investment strategy since day one has been to buy land because the value of the land, the way that land get you, gets used, that's only going to increase in value. There's only going to be more and more dwellings on that land in 10, 20, 30 years time. How can it not be? It's just impossible to see. Uh, obviously, you can't just buy land. You've got to get some cash flow and there's other things that go with it. But the basic premise absolutely has always worked and will work forever and on because of that basic equation that I just spent maybe a few minutes too long talking to. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go away from numbers now, guys, if you're still with me. I'm, I'm sorry, but that was, that was big news for the week. So I wanted to start there. Uh, but I am conscious that there's a fair few numbers in that. I'm, I'm going to take a short break and then come back. All right, let's talk about first home buyers. Last week, we talked about the fact the Queensland state government doubled its first home buyers grant for new houses, increasing it to a whopping $30,000. Uh, I want to, though, talk about Sydney first home buyers here. That's where I'm going to start because it has always plagued me, JB, how a uh, first-time buyer in Sydney affords to buy because the median house price these days is nudging $1.4 million. And you do wonder, like, how is it possible to save at best a 10% deposit um, of 140000 to to get in just at, at the, at the middle, middle of the market? Um, my question to you is you are currently going through the first homeowners uh, process. How have you found the borrowing element of it? Uh, I've I've only sort of briefly been in that side of it uh, in terms of um, like at the stage that I'm I'm in at the moment. I'm going for my pre-approval at this stage. Um, there's been quite a few borrowing options. Again, this was under the guarantee scheme, though, which is which is allowing a lower deposit. The federal government, um, yeah. so yes, we talked about that a few weeks yeah. ago, if you yeah. want to go um, back a few episodes. So that's the 40% uh, loan. So no, so that's a different... 15%, yeah, yeah. the 40% for the emergency services workers. Exactly, yeah. So 15%. 15%, so you only need to have a, a 5, 5% minimum deposit, um, which is which is quite achievable, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's still pretty big numbers if you're talking Sydney. Sydney. Yeah, yeah, still still yeah. big numbers. Um, but still for, seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, plus yeah. stamp duty. That's that's the kicker. You know mm-hmm. that that's a that's a big kicker, which uh, is as far as I'm aware, a, that's waived in the first homeowners grant at a certain price point. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which there's no uh, nothing to do with the stamp duty waive being waived with the guarantee scheme. So you still have to pay the stamp duty. So uh, definitely something to um, to consider. Um, in terms of the borrowing, for me, I think it's a lot of that pressure has been alleviated with that scheme that I'm going under um, mm. because I, I do have that 5% deposit. Mm. It's, that's not really a, a concern. Um, 
and also just having that little bit of extra security, not needing a higher uh, higher amount, and then also not having the lender's mortgage insurance allows me to borrow more effectively. Mm. Uh, so for me, it hasn't been too challenging. The challenging part goes back to what you said previously with with Sydney is is finding a property or a home that matches the criteria, that's getting quite tricky because there's, there's, there isn't a large supply of homes. Yeah. Um, if you are a little picky about where you would like to live, which I imagine some people are, mm. um, it, it can get tricky to find something that's either under 700,000 um, or under that 750,000 that is a brand new home. Um, to get the scheme being able to move into anything effectively is is great in that aspect. Still challenging um, unless you're wanting to move into a townhouse or a duplex or something like that. Um, but to find a home um, on, in one of those schemes, it's quite, quite a, a tricky thing to do. So Sydney, yeah, it, I, it's something I haven't thought about too much because I've kind of been in my own world. But putting those numbers into perspective, is it, it would be really challenging. Um, I think a lot of people say, look, I feel for first-time buyers, and, and, and I do. It's more, though, for me, a, a, an understanding that getting the first one is the hardest. Yeah. You've got to scrape together everything that you've got. And it feels like, uh, particularly in recent times, that, that you just can't save enough to keep up with what house prices are doing. And that certainly would be the case in Sydney in years gone by. So I have, I have just wondered how, how do people do it? And I stumbled across some data this week, which I think gives me the answer. And that is that the the bank of mum and dad have injected $2.7 billion into the property market in just the past year. Wow. So uh, $2.7 billion made available from parents to their kids. Now, it's not just in the form of, say, gifted money. Some uh, There's a big chunk of that which is uh, a guarantee, so yep. so guaranteeing the loan. Um, 15% of all home buyers are supported by their parents Wow! in the last year. Yep. Two-thirds were getting cash as a loan and the remainder third were uh, uh, receiving guarantees of some sort. So, the, so there is a big chunk that, it, that the parent's borrowing the money or is lending the money in the form of a cash uh, gift. Yeah, I was, I was going to say because if it's a cash loan, I believe the lenders sort of look at that as a part of your serviceability. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas as a gift, um, it's not something that they, they really look at. It's just available funds, not something that you'll have to pay back over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that, that is really interesting. Uh, it amounts to 1% of all home lending in the past wow. year. So it's not, a, it's a, it's, it's not an insignificant yeah. amount. And uh, home buyers in New South Wales, understandably, were the biggest beneficiaries. Yep. Uh, on average, they got 92000 from their parents. So, so I guess in the context of you were talking about 70000 yep. is the 5% deposit, $1.4 million is the, is the home value. Yep. It, it makes sense that, yes. that that would be, you know, the, the number. Uh, around Australia, the average is about 73000 and um, And WA, the lowest on average with a contribution of 34000 from uh, the average mum and dad. Th- those numbers are still higher than what I would have thought, if, if I'm honest, because uh, myself included, but a few of my, my friends that have been trying to get into the market, mm. um, their parents may not have made the best decisions in terms of property or they just, it was never something that yeah. they, their interest, uh, where their interests were. So 
Um, in terms of my circle, I, I don't know too many people that have received gifts or um, like guarant- guarant- guarantees even mm. or guarantor, mm. sorry. Um, and that was my challenge as well is that there was no one that met the criteria. Like we, mm. I have uncles and grandparents and things like, oh, not sorry, grandparents, like uncles and distant relatives and even mm. close, really close friends that would be happy to be my guarantor, but it's not something that the bank allows. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that family. Yeah. Connection. So that was my, my, mm. my issue is that it would have like, if it was a, a, I believe a parent, grandparent, or, um, one of your children, they're, they're accepted. Um, but if it's an uncle or uh, anything like that, like kind of like a second um, relative, uh, it's not something that they accept. There we go. Well, clearly, despite that, there is a big chunk of mum and dads helping out their kids, yep. uh, particularly in Sydney today. And I imagine that's got to be the way going forward. Like if you bought a house in Sydney 20 years ago, you probably bought it for 300, 350 grand. It's debt free, I'd say, today. And it's worth 1.4, 1.5 and, and growing. Yep. Naturally, you should be helping your, your, your kids. Um, but so that would make sense. If, if your family's been in Sydney and owned homes for, for that period, you know, yeah, it, it makes sense. But uh, not everyone, mm. unfortunately, in that position. Bank of mum and dad, 15% of all home or all uh, borrowers getting the help of mum and dad today and 1% of total lending. Some big, big numbers. <laughs> All right, so uh, we are recording the 7th of uh, December. So this is probably going to be the last time in 2023 that I get a chance to talk about house prices. Uh, But I do feel that a lot of the listeners, and, and I almost missed this myself if I wasn't looking every day for this stuff, but I almost missed the house price data that was released for the month of November because it was masked in the negativity, in the negativity that's everywhere in the newspapers every day, but also just the general negativity that, that gets used in, in journalism these days. Uh, I think it was something like the headline said something like, house prices soften. So you think, oh, the house prices have had a bad month. Not the case, not the case. In fact, the median house price in Australia was up 0.7% in the month of November, which takes it to 10% for the year. So house prices have gone up 10% this year. You probably weren't aware. Uh, leading the charge is Perth at 14%, followed by uh, Sydney at 12.5% and Brisbane at 12.1%. And what, what we are seeing now is the smaller capital cities take over from the bigger capital cities. Front half of the year was led by your Sydney, uh, to a lesser extent, your, your Melbourne. And now we are seeing Brisbane, Perth and Adelaide take over. So Brisbane up 1.4% or $12,000 in the month of November. $12,000 in just one month. Hard to save that amount of money. Adelaide up 1.3%. So that's about $10,000 for the month. And Perth up which is massive. Perth was the biggest and fastest mover, 13,500 for the month. All of those capital cities now running at nearly 4 to 5% per month. So they're they're seriously moving uh, at this moment in time. And it's also, it makes sense if you think about it. So all of the markets follow Sydney. For those who've listened to the double shot in the past, 
Sydney's always the first market to go. It's the biggest capital city in Australia. It gets the majority of our overseas migration. Naturally, if you come to Australia, you know Sydney. You might know Melbourne if you're into sport, but Sydney really, it's the cap financial capital. You're going to start there. And so therefore picks up a lot of the overseas migration, bearing in mind majority of overseas migrants are skilled workers and students. And so it starts to take off and, and you see house prices move. Uh, but then after a while, the city becomes a little bit less affordable because house prices have moved comes a little bit more congested because it's hard for infrastructure to keep up with the population growth. So you then start to see people spill out into, into Melbourne as a starting point because it's the second sort of financial capital of Australia. But then Melbourne eventually experiences the same thing and then you start to see this big run of interstate migration into places like Brisbane, Adelaide and Perth, the smaller capital city markets, and they all go up and down as a percentage of the Sydney median house price. So Brisbane will top out at 80%. Uh, sits at roughly 60% today, 62%. Adelaide will top out at 70% as will Perth, and they're sitting at 54 and 48% today. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? JB, what do you think? If you're living in Sydney and you see a place like Brisbane or Adelaide where you can get into the market for 60 50% of what it would cost you to get into the Sydney market. I think you're, you're jumping at that opportunity because yes, you probably earn less than what you earn in Sydney, but you're not going to earn 40, 50% less, are you? No, yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. Like going back to earlier in the episode talking about, um, you know, the the constraints around getting into a property, all of those kinds of things, If you if you do see an option where yeah, you're weighing up your pros and your cons, and the pros are higher. You're going to take the leap. I would, I would imagine that's what I, I would be doing, depending on, um, you know, like your your lifestyle, things like that. But in terms of especially like investment properties, you know, um, it, it's an easy decision, really. Well, that's what you're seeing today. You're seeing record, in fact, two decade high population growth from interstate migration into Brisbane, and you're seeing a record ever in Adelaide, like the, <laughs> the most amount of interstate migrants to Adelaide ever since records were kept. So, so that, that's what you're seeing. And then predominantly from Sydney to a lesser extent, uh, Melbourne today. And the same thing's going on in the rental market. Rent's up 8% year on year in Sydney, uh, 11% in Melbourne. Wow, we. And then six, uh, six to 7% in Brisbane and Adelaide and, and a whopping 13% in Perth. So similar trends that we're seeing in, in, in house prices is happening in rents as well. So it really is a damned if you do, damned if you don't moment if you're a renter today because do you cop the uncertainty of rents being put up uh, on you without any real say in the matter? Or do you take matters into your own hands where even if you take on a mortgage, at least, you know, you, you control your own destiny, the value of your home will likely increase as well. I think a lot of people are doing the latter and that that is showing up with probably the last set of numbers that I'm going to talk to in this episode. And, and a lot of people are saying, well, how, like if interest rates are going up, how, why, why are house prices going up? It is a very, it's in fact, a very, very simple answer, supply demand. It is literally, it's, it's all it really is when it comes to house prices. Some people can overcomplicate it. 
Supply comes from two areas. You either build new houses or you list your home for sale. The total listings of homes for sale on the market today is 20% below the five-year average. The Australian population is 10% bigger than it was five years ago. So like there's a massive mismatch there. Listings should be up by five or 10% on the five-year average just to keep pace with the population growth. Likewise, as I mentioned at the outset of today's episode, we are growing by more than 500,000 people per annum. We're going to need 250,000 houses. We'd be lucky to be building 160,000. So we're not even building enough houses to cater for the new arrivals into our country. That's what's putting pressure on our rental and house price market. And I honestly don't see an end to it. I, I, I could see a situation where those smaller, more affordable capital cities see another double-digit growth going into 2024. And then finally, uh, the auction figures, they're holding up pretty strong too, which, which also is another barometer, uh, albeit we're into summer now. So auctions aren't as popular, but those markets sitting in that sort of high 60%, which suggests that they're probably a little bit more balanced. Um, auctions are typically uh, dominated by the more expensive properties. So we might just be seeing that that more expensive end of the market might just be sort of a bit more balanced than the affordable end of the market is what I'm reading into that. But it all comes down to supply and demand. All these economists love to put out these lovely forecasts based on a whole bunch of numbers. But at the end of the day, the only numbers that really matter is demand and supply. All right, you're probably getting sick of me by now. Been a whole episode of me mixed with a bit of JB, who I'm grateful for, by the way. Uh, thank you, JB, for your uh, contributions. I thought I, I've got to finish on the Reserve Bank today. So the Reserve Bank have had their last meeting for 2023. Thank the Lord. Uh, and they have decided to keep rates on hold. Uh, that means, though, that we have had 13 rate rises since April 2022. So roughly, what's that, about uh, 18, 19, 20 months uh, so far. So it is a lot, 13 rate rises in, in the space of 20 months. Um, it was eight, there was eight of them in 2022, and four of those were by half a percent. So relative to only have five rate increases in 2023 at 0.25% each, it was still not great, but uh, it was much better than what we were dealing with in 2022. I do feel like it's the end of it. And what I mean by that is I, I think rates will hold at, at their current level. Um, you know, the Reserve Bank were comforted by the um, consumer price index, so the inflation numbers came down from 5.6% uh, uh, in September down to 4.9% in October. There's a slight lag on, on when that data is reported, um, but, but came down a fair bit from 56 to 4.9%. And it was much less than uh, most of the market had thought that it would be about a 5.2% inflation number. So, so they, were, they were encouraged by that, um, still gave all the normal warnings about, uh, you know, wages are going up and we're worried that you know people people could uh, drift back into spending and the job's not done yet. All, all of all of the the general kind of disclaimer that needs to go in their statements. They they after all don't want people to have them be so positive that they go out and spend again, thinking that oh rates are going to come down next month. 
But look, I do think that that they've done a lot of heavy lifting. They've taken inflation from 7% down to now under 5%. So, so what they have done is working. Um, there's a whole different discussion on whether interest rates is actually an effective tool to control inflation in the first place when you consider that a third of all homeowners don't have a debt, another third, it, the homes are rented out and, and, and a lot of the interest rate movements are recouped in rising rents. So you're really using a fairly blunt instrument on only a third of the market who've got varying degrees of, of debt and therefore impact. Putting that argument aside, I do feel as though uh, inflation is is heading in the right direction. I feel like rates maybe stay fairly stable for the first six months of next year. This could age very poorly, but I do feel that they will come down uh, towards the back end of next year. So I feel feel like the worst is over. It's a nice way to close out 2023 from a, an interest rates point of view. It'll be the last time this year that we talk about rates on this podcast, EP. Uh, but look, I do feel that that's the state of play. Um, interestingly, I guess, because I'm, I'm a bit of a nut on the, the detail, electricity prices were the most significant contributor to inflation in the month of October. They're up by 10%, uh, which again, like what control do we have on our electricity prices? It's not like we can live without the lights on. Um, uh, the next one uh, was, was gas and household fuels up 13%. Again, do we have much control over that? Like if you if you go and increase our interest rates, are we going to spend less on electricity and fuel? Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's largely beyond the uh, control of the the group that you are punishing with your interest rates. But anyway, so that were the big movers. Um, that's enough numbers. So many numbers in today's episode. I, I do apologize. That's what happens when I don't have Mitch or Alex to sort of keep me in line. If you've got to this point, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. Love to get your feedback, guys. We do get quite a few emails and um, notes through our Instagram uh, with, with feedback or, or questions, um, you know, a lot as well. Any topics that you want us to cover, we'll still be doing a couple more episodes between now and the end of the year. Uh, we'll then take a little bit of a break, but uh, I will be back next week with Mitch joining me. Um, so look, thank you for listening. If you've got this far, have a great week and we'll be back a little bit later on this week with the quick shots. Thanks again. And thank you to JB who first day back has joined us graciously in the studio. Did you have fun, JB? I had a lot of fun. Great episode. Great episode, James. Well, if we're having fun, surely the they have to be having, having fun. fun. They uh, have to here's be. hoping. All right, guys, take care. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Double Shot with your favourite cousins, Alex and James Fitzgerald. If you've got a burning question or something we absolutely need to talk about on the pod, please write to us. Both of our emails are in the show notes. For little real estate tidbits and a little bit of banter, okay, a lot of banter, you can follow us on the gram. Our handle is the double shot dot podcast. That, my friends, is the double shot dot podcast. Until next time, think of us when you sit back and sip your next double shot.